Thanks for that, Libby. Uh, there is an outline in your order of services, uh, or if you are a regular, you know that the outline is also available uh, online at gracepoint.org.au slash go slash Burwood Bulletin. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you we can open up the Bible this Lord's Day. We do pray as we try to understand the words of Jesus Uh, that you might speak, not just to give us understanding, but you might also bring that word to bear in our hearts and our lives. We ask this in His name. Amen. It's fair to say that everyone's an investor in life. Um, Even young people are savvy investors today. Maybe you, uh, as a worker in high school, maybe you've started a cash management fund since high school. I know high school students who've done that. And here's the thing, we tend to invest in places that give us the biggest return on investment. Uh, And so, you know, I do know that when my son was in high school, uh, he, apart from actually investing in riot cards, those of you who know what that is, a lot of money for us was spent on riot cards, you spend hours to improve your standing on League of Legends. Because you believe it'll give you a, a return on investment, you get to level up. Or some of the adults here, not even young adults, they invest in magic cards. There's no different, you know, to the student who actually invests in their studies. You spend hours studying, you work through study papers, you go to tutoring, because you believe it'll give you a return on investment, because you believe it'll get you into the course you want at university. That's no different to those who are workers. You invest in your workplace, you work very, very hard, you go beyond what's asked for, sometimes you change jobs, because you're looking always for a higher return on investment, what you put in, so you get something. And so... We all do that in life. People invest in their super, their property portfolios, because they want a return on investment. Now, everyone is an investor in life. And Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 12, this parable. uh, And this parable is really the story of a man who invested in the wrong place. It's actually a warning parable for those of you who are not aware. It's a story Jesus tells. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles with me, or maybe you've heard it read for us, and like all of Jesus' parables, there's actually a background to the parable. And so, let me read verse 13 for you. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, and so, you know, the, the way Jesus tells the story is there's actually a fight over the family inheritance, basically a fight over money. Uh, over wealth, over possessions, like two kids, you know, who are fighting. Those of you who have got children, uh, you have two brothers. And in this parable Jesus tells, these two brothers, one is tightly holding on to his money, and then you have another one grabbing hold at the money, okay? Notice the problem. They're both greedy. One is holding to his wealth, unwilling to let go. The other one is grabbing at wealth because he thinks he deserves it. Notice how greed is never defined by what we possess and hold on to. Sometimes greed is defined by what we don't have and what we're salivating after, what we're obsessively trying to attain and get and secure, obsessed with. And so you have two greedy brothers. Uh, And Jesus' warning, verse 15 to verse 16, if you look at verse 16, come down a few verses, Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, his wealth. Now, that's the main point of the parable Jesus tells. Jesus actually gives it to us up front, right? Jesus says there are many dangers in life, 
And that's true whether you are a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, whether you're religious or secular. He says, there's one thing you need to look out for, one thing you need to guard against, and that's greed. And there are many kinds of greed. Uh, Whether you're someone who is holding on very tightly to wealth and not sharing it, you know, like Gollum, obsessed with what you possess, the one ring, or whether you're someone who's furiously grabbing at wealth that you don't have, like those who are obsessed with and fighting to secure the one ring they don't possess. Uh, You begin to notice that those who have little can be just as greedy as those who have much. And so Jesus says, here's an area of life that he warns us about. Because a man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of their wealth, their possessions, their achievements. The sum total of your life isn't tied up to what you own, what you have. Now, Jesus tells us why in this parable, in this story, in this account, okay? Uh, And so, uh, if you have a look with me, uh, as Jesus tells this story, keep in mind that you have a man who is doing uh, both, one who is holding on to his wealth and not sharing it, mine, 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 it's all mine, but there's also a man who lives furiously grabbing at wealth, more, 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 I want more, is his motto in life. And, and really, as you read this parable, it's a picture of a man who lives his life building a kingdom for himself. So have a look at verse 16 to verse 19 with me. Uh, look at what Jesus says as he begins this story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. Tear down my old barns. I'll build bigger ones to store them. Uh, and there I'll store all my grain, all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid out for many years Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I'll be very honest with you. Uh, As Jesus tells this parable, his accomplishment in life is impressive. You read the account Jesus tells, and this is the dream, isn't it? To earn enough so that you can can rest, so that you can enjoy life. Uh, To make enough so you don't have to worry about the future. Uh, to have enough return on investment so that you can live the kind of life you want to live. And, and this is the very thing that all of us have been taught to aspire to, to work towards, right? Uh, in fact, this is what we teach our kids. Study hard, go to university, get a well-paying job, build a successful career so you have the finances to buy a house. Uh, and not just to buy a house, but so that you have all the resources basically to have a secure and comfortable future. All of us have been brought up and have been taught that. Now, in the parable Jesus tells, the man has a bumper crop, right? There is a massive return on his investment this year. It's so large, he's got no place to store his crops. So he tears down his old barns, he builds bigger ones to to secure, as it were, to keep all his grain and all his goods. And so, um, the closest I can think of is someone who's stockpiling He's stockpiling, he's accumulating his investment portfolio, he's, you know, he's, he's increasing his security really for the future. Uh, he's investing in the future. He's building a kingdom for himself so he has a secure future, right? That's what he's actually doing. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a couple friend of mine, of a friend. What they did was they bought a massive timber table, but they didn't realize how big it was. And so when it arrived, they discovered it couldn't fit in their dining room. So you know what they did? They renovated the dining room. They tore down the walls and expanded their dining room to fit the new table. Okay? No, no one here in this, in this church, but elsewhere. But, um, 
But, but that's, what, that's what this rich man is actually doing, okay? Now, I want you to notice two things about this man. Here's number one. It's Daniel outlines as well. Notice he lives his life seeking only his own kingdom. He lives for self. Uh, he speaks, notice, of my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my future. And, and, you know, that's the horizon of perspective in his life. Everything he has is used to serve his kingdom to secure his future, okay? It's all mine. It's for me, my comfort, my soul enjoyment, my future. Now, some of us are appalled that he would do something like that. But if you think about it, if you think about it, it's actually quite Darwinian. Uh, because this is survival of the fittest. Why does he need to think of other people? He's worked for it. He's earned it. And he's spending on himself. It's his right. Right? This is survival of the fittest, the strongest, the fastest. And he's up there in the pecking order of culture and society. But it's not used to share, it's not used to help others, and it's understandable because he owes no one anything. He's worked for it, he's earned it, and so his circle of generosity is me, myself, and I. And that's why he says, as he looks at his wealth, the future looks good and secure because I've earned it. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So that's the first thing. But there is a second thing there, and that he lives his life, his life believing that he has made it on his own. He lived as if God wasn't there. In fact, there is absolutely no thanks, no gratitude, no recognition of God's provision or generosity in his life. Notice, Jesus tells us that the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, an abundant return, a huge harvest. Who made it grow? Not the rich man, but he believes he's achieved it all by himself. And he thinks that he's in control of his future. I am captain of my soul. I am master of my fate. That's his mantra in life. And so as he surveys everything he has achieved, everything that he enjoys, as he sees his wealth expand, he literally believes he is king of the world, master of his destiny. Now, have a look at verse 20, because Jesus says... Just when the rich man thinks his life is set, his future is a done deal, he's now, his life is now free from worry because his barns are full, his wealth has guaranteed him the lifestyle he wants, God says, time's up. Time's up. You're not master of your fate. You're not captain of your soul. Your possessions are not as secure as you think. Your future is actually not yours to command. Your years are not in your hands. You know, there is no greater reminder that you are not in control of your life and your circumstances than death. Did you know that? There is no greater reminder that you are not master of your fate and your destiny in life than death. Look at verse 20 with me. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this, he says, is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And so you live your life investing to build your own kingdom, but has it ever occurred to you that it could all end in an instant? That yearly checkup to the doctor and you receive news that you have cancer. That's a possibility. You go to work in the, you know, to, in the city. Maybe you drive, maybe you don't. 
and you step off the curb and you get hit by a bus. You're driving in a car and you stop at the traffic lights in Eastwood. And you find yourself in ICU. Some of the people who were involved in the accident were people from our mother church, CPC Surrey Hills. And so life is fragile. Uh, in one of the ancient wisdom books of the Bible, the writer in Ecclesiastes saw this as he surveyed his life and the lives of the rich around him. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4 to 11, his conclusion is that we live our lives chasing after the wind. We are grasping at something we cannot hold on to. And then he says, verse 14, this is Ecclesiastes 2, the same fate, the same destiny overtakes the rich and the poor, the, the wise and the foolish. You invest your time into your studies, your work, your career, your business. You're building a kingdom for self. And then he says, verse 16, like the fool, the wise man too must die. Then who will get what you have worked for? Earned, built, prepared for yourself. Uh, that's why the, the psalmist says, Psalm 90, right? one of the songs of uh, grief and uh, that you find in the Bible, Psalm 90, the psalmist actually sings, teach us to number our days, to consider our finiteness, our limitations, so that we might gain a heart of wisdom, so that we might live our lives building in the right places. And so come back with me, verse 21. So Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And so, and so here's the, the warning, as it were, to the greedy who live their lives for themselves, uh, thinking they're in control. Well, a platform called death awaits us all. And so Jesus says, living and investing in your kingdom of self, trying to secure your future, will leave you bankrupt in God's economy. And in the end, you have nothing. And so notice how Jesus highlights for us two ways to live, doesn't he? Soaring up things for self versus being rich towards God. Storing up things for himself or being rich towards God. Now, the most obvious question as you read a passage like this or the story, the parable Jesus tells is, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Okay, yeah, Well, it's the opposite to storing up for self. It's the opposite to uh, hoarding my wealth to secure my future. To be rich towards God is to generously release things for God. Uh, to be rich towards God is to share what I have for God's purpose. And I want to say to you, that's not an unusual thing to do, okay? Because we do it in all of life already. Because notice, we are always rich towards those we love. We are always rich towards those we are grateful for, grateful to. Now, we are always rich towards those we love. Think of uh, those of you who are parents here, right? Aren't you rich towards your children? You are. You love them. And that's why you invest your money in their education. That's why you generally spend on them and you buy them stuff they want, right? Because you are seeking to build your children's kingdom in life because you love them, okay? And so we're always rich towards those we most love and treasure in life. Now, if you're married, aren't you rich towards your husband and your wife? You love them. You treasure them. Uh, one Christmas, one of the wives uh, at Grace Point Tien, um, she bought her husband the Xbox 360 when it first came out, right? That was her Christmas present to him. That's Tien 
being rich towards Tim, gener- generously spending on him. In fact, when the, uh, when the, when the next one came out, uh, I think it was the Xbox One, when it came out, she did it again, right? And, and it's like you sort of go, wow, right? And, and, you know, we're always rich towards those whom we love. Understand this, right? Everyone here is rich towards something or someone in life because they are pouring their time, their talents, their treasures into that place. Why? And often we do it because we believe where we put our time, talents, and treasures will give us comfort and security in life, will secure our future. And so if your studies is what you most treasure, there you find yourself building bigger barns because it's securing your future. If your work is what you treasure in life, there you find yourself building bigger barns because there it's securing your future. And so has it ever occurred to you what most consumes your mind, your time, your talents, your treasures, your life tells you whose kingdom you're trusting in, whose kingdom you're anchoring in? Right? Whose kingdom you believe will actually give you a secure future. Now, the rich man, he anchored his life and his future in his achievements, his possessions, his wealth, what he could secure here. Um, he, that's why he wasn't rich towards God, right? That's no way he looked to find his future security. But Jesus doesn't end there because you notice that Jesus does go on to unpack for us what does it mean to be rich towards God? Okay? What does it mean to to uh, trust in God for your security and future. Now, here are two things Jesus says. And so, have a look with me, because that's the next section, verse 22 to verse 34. And so, here's the first thing Jesus says. Number one, verse 22, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. In fact, Jesus says, learn to be content and trust God with your basic necessities in life. Why? Verse 23 to verse 28, Jesus says, look around you at the world. Uh, We don't do that much, right? Because we're busy, 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 inner city people. But he says, look around you at the world, right? I think uh, it was uh, Sharon who shared. She looked around at the beauty of the sunset, right? So look around you at the world. God feeds the ravens. Aren't you more valuable than birds? God dresses the lilies. He clothes the grass of the field. And they're only there for a day or two. Aren't you more valuable, Jesus says? And, and so verse 25, if you read with me, this is the great reality. You have no control in life. And so he says, who of you, by worrying, by running after stuff, who of you can add a single hour to your life? And so he's effectively saying, learn to be content and trust God with your basic necessities in life. Why? Because you are more loved and you are more valuable than you realize. Now, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that you are more loved and more valuable than you realize? Well, in in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, as the chapters unfold, Jesus shows us that you are loved and valued because he goes to the cross for you. Uh, Because at the cross, what Jesus does is at the cross, he meets your greatest need in life. He deals with your ultimate suffering in your life. He faces what threatens your ultimate security. He experiences your death and your judgment for your greed in life. Death and judgment falls on him so that you might know freedom. 
death and judgment for men and women at the cross. He allows death and judgment to crush Him for those who think that they can live their lives without God. Now, if He has done that, if He has done that, surely you are more valuable than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field because He looks after them and if He looks after them, and He's met your greatest need for security in life at the cross, surely He'll meet your needs in your circumstances. Surely He is looking after and caring for you now, because He's met your greatest need at the cross. Do you know why the rich man lived his life stockpiling? Why he was accumulating and building bigger barns? Do you know why he was greedy? Do you know why he lived building a kingdom for himself? Well, greedy people, whether they care to admit it, are afraid They're afraid of losing control. They're fearful about their future, which is why they live their life now, trying to secure the future. Greed comes from a desire to be in control. Did you know that? That's why we run after things, we stockpile, we hold on to things. That's why we build our lives, we invest our lives in certain places because we think they'll give us control and a secure future. Greed actually comes from a place of fear and a desire for control. In fact, if you read the story very carefully, you begin to realize that he was a rich man even before he had a bumper crop. He was already rich. He had clothes, he had shelter, he had food, but he wasn't content. Why? Because he wanted to make sure he had the same lifestyle in the future. So he kept building his own kingdom. And Jesus says, you can either trust in your barns, I earned it, I worked hard for it. Jesus says, you can do that. But he also says, you earn nothing, you work for nothing. God has given those things to you. And so you're either trusting in yourself or you're trusting God and what He's done for your life and for your future. That's the choice he faced. But he kept investing in his own kingdom. There in his bonds was his future and security. And so Jesus says, notice verse 29, Do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, the secular world, runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. And so he says, you know, that's how the world lives. I mean, that's how culture and society operates, right? That's, how we, that's what we've been taught growing up. That's godless living. That's self-centered living, thinking you're in control and that you can be in control. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is not saying, be lazy. He's not saying, don't work hard. Don't plan for the future. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't set your hearts on these things. In other words, don't make them ultimate in your life. Don't be like the rich man here who made these things the object of his ultimate security in life. Don't do that. This is how the godless live. In place of God at the center, you put your money and your wealth, your possessions, your study, your career, your food, your shelter. Jesus says instead, trust me. Trust me because you are more valued and you are more loved than you realize. Because Jesus says, if I've dealt with your ultimate suffering at the cross, if I've dealt with ultimately what robs you of future security in life, death, surely you can trust me in your present life and your future that I will always provide for you. Now, I want to say to you this morning, I want you to notice that Christianity is very different from religion. Christianity is very different from the secular approach to life. Because religion says, work to secure God's provision. 
God's favor. Be a moral person so that God will actually uh, be favorable to you in the future. Keep the commandments. Be a better man or woman so that God will provide for you. In religion, you must earn your security. Make up for your past failures so that you have a favorable future. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Uh, Secularism is also built on fear because secularism says, unless I work hard enough and perform and achieve, unless I make the grades socially, academically, professionally, I won't have a future. Isn't that what you're told? I won't have security in life, which is why I must achieve socially, academically, professionally. Well, Christianity is very different because Christianity says God has made provision for your future in Jesus. He has dealt with what threatens your ultimate suffering and your ultimate security uh, in life, death. Trust Jesus for your future and your present security. And so Christianity is actually built on grace. I have a future, not because of my work. I have a future that's secure because of Jesus' work. And all I'm called to do is to trust Him. I don't have to earn my present security because Jesus has secured my ultimate security in life. And all I'm called to do is trust Him. You see the difference between religion, secular, secularism, and Christianity? They're not the same. And so Jesus says learning to be rich towards God starts with learning to be content trusting that God is control and that He'll provide for our necessities in life because we are valued and loved. And we're valued and loved because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we trust Him. But there's a second thing. Look at verse 31 to 33. To be rich towards God is to invest in His kingdom, to now anchor your life, your future, your time, your talents, your treasures in His kingdom. To be rich towards God is to build your bonds around God's kingdom because that's the safest place to invest. That's where you're going to get the biggest return on investment in life. And so look at verse 31. But seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. He says, do not be afraid for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's given you everything at the cross. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, be generous, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, invest in the future, His kingdom, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. Jesus is saying, build bigger barns that will last, that doesn't wear out, that will not run out, that can't be stolen, that won't be subject to decay. And so either I'm rich towards self, stockpiling in my life, right, because I think it's going to give me some lasting security, or I'm rich towards God and His kingdom because He's loved me, and investing there is what will give me the biggest return on investment in life. I want us to be very clear on this, right? Where we pour our lives is ultimately a faith issue, right? You know, sometimes um, non-religious people say to me, um, you Christian people, you built your life on faith. And I go, well, that, well, that's not true. Whether you're religious or non-religious, whether you're Christian or secular, everyone builds their life on faith. Because faith is ultimately what you put your trust in in life, what you're anchoring in in life to secure your future. And so you have faith when you put your money in places you trust because you think there'll be a payoff. That's faith. Uh, You invest your time in things you trust because you think there's a return on investment. Jesus says, be rich towards God and His kingdom. The one who's secured your future, invest in His kingdom, put your trust in His kingdom. And so, Where you invest in life, your time, your talents, your treasures, your life, 
is always a reflection of who you are trusting in life, where you have anchored your future. And Jesus says, by looking very closely at where you're building your barns in life, what you're trusting in life, where you're putting your time, talents, and treasures, well, that will actually reveal where your heart really is, who you trust. And so what happens is Jesus ends with a warning, doesn't he? Don't make too much of the things you so love and treasure in life. Don't make too much of those things because they're not permanent. When they break, it crushes us. When they disappoint, it crushes us. That's the reason why when you make too much of things in your life uh, around you and it fails or it's taken from you, guess what? Your world falls apart, doesn't it? It does. When you make too much of things in your life around you and they disappoint you, your heart breaks. So Jesus says, seek first His kingdom. Anchor there. Trust Him. Invest your life in what cannot be taken away from you. Now, what does it mean to seek His kingdom? Well, it means getting the order of things right in your life. Things exist not so that they become ultimate in your life, Things exist so that you enjoy them, so that you use them to serve His kingdom. And so get the order of things right in your life. Invest what you have in building barns for the kingdom. Because that's faith. That's trust. I'm trusting Him to provide. He's loved me. He's given me value. He's secured my future. And that's why I'm now free and that's why I'm, I can now be generous in using all that I have to build His kingdom because I'm no longer anchoring in those things. I recognize they are a gift from Him to be enjoyed and to be used for His kingdom. And so I want you to notice this, right? Christian people give not to earn God's, fa not to earn God's favor. Christian people give never to secure God's forgiveness. Christian people give because God has favored them. And because God has favored them, they give to His cause because they trust Him. That's why Christian people give. Uh, the rich fool work the other way. How can I use the abundance I have to build my kingdom to secure my future? And so the rich man built his life around his wealth for himself to secure his future. And Jesus actually says he wasted his life because at the end, he had nothing. Right? Now, that's a reflection of faithlessness. I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to increase my worth and my value and my lot in life. That's being rich towards self. Jesus says, be rich towards God. How can you use the abundance of what God has given you to build His kingdom? Because you are favored. You are loved. Your future has been secured at the cross. Do you trust Him enough to do that with your time, your talents, your treasures, your life. Now, I want you to hear the words of Jesus this morning, not as a word of discouragement, but as a word of encouragement. Because Jesus tells us this parable for our good, for our joy, our happiness. Yeah, it's a warning against greed, right? Trying to be in control of our lives and our future. But it's also so that we might look carefully at our lives and find ourselves anchored in the right place. Notice what Jesus says, verse 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there you find the object of your trust in life, where you think your future security is going to be found. 
Because where your treasure is, there you anchor all your hopes, your dreams, your trust, your future, your time, your talents, your treasures in life. And that will tell you whether you're rich towards self or whether you're rich towards God. Look and survey the landscape of your life. Now, um, let me end my way of story. Many years ago, uh, I received a letter from a mom that I had never met before. Uh, Linda uh, was her name. She wrote to me to tell me her story. Uh, her daughter, Anna, was 15. Some of you have heard me share this. Uh, she was 15 when she attended a youth convention I spoke at in 2005. Many years later, her mother, Linda, wrote to me. Um, and, and this is what she wrote. Two weeks after that convention, Anna and her father were run over by a cattle truck right in front of our home. And then she writes, uh, Anna lost her life that day. I cannot imagine. And, and you know, when I read the letter, I, I just can't imagine what this mother had, had to go through. Uh, and then Linda wrote that the week after conference, Anna came home. Uh, she had made a poster that she stuck on her bedroom wall. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And that was the theme of the conference that, that year. And Anna's last journal entry expressed a desire to use her musical gifts, because she was very musical, to use her musical gifts, her talents, to serve Jesus. And so she wrote, I believe Jesus has given me this dream, goal, or longing for a reason. I'd love to go to poor places where the homeless are and play our music there and give them what they need. Love, kindness, and care. And I want to call our band Wake Up. <laughs> I laughed when I read that. Her band was going to be called Wake Up. But, you know, that's how 15-year-old Anna saw life. A life lived for Jesus and the, and the kingdom because she knew she was favored. She knew she was loved. And so she wanted to use her, her abilities, her gifts, her passion for Jesus. Two weeks later, she was gone. Linda uh, writes of her grief uh, at losing her daughter. Um, her depression, she went through a period of incredible depression, her struggle to cope in life. But she also writes of how all this eventually led to her and her husband. He lived, um, he was in hospital a long time, but it, it led to her and her husband. It somehow it led them to India. Uh, they took her belongings and her savings. Anna was a busker um, who played violin, and she used all of Anna's savings to bless orphan children in India. And that's what they started to do each year. Each year, they traveled to India, sharing God's grace uh, with those in need. And so Linda wrote, India has become our second home, and for some reason, Hindu people are fascinated to hear how a white Australian girl who died and had a dream to bless the poor, how God could turn sorrow into dancing. Uh, at 15, you know, her life was cut short. But, you know, Anna didn't waste her life, did she? And to the end, she lived with this vision of serving Jesus with her time, her talents, her treasures, because she knew she was loved. She was favored. And so she entrusted her future into his hands. And her death was not a waste because through it all, her mom and dad, her mom and dad didn't waste their lives. They're not building barns for their retirement, are they? They know how short and fragile life is. But they also know that death because of Jesus is not the final word. There is a security 
and a future that death cannot take away because of Jesus. And so they are living, they're giving all their time and treasures to Him, to the one who has favored them and has already secured their future. That's where they're investing, in what will never wear out, what will never be taken away from them. Now, can I say to you this morning, if you are regular at Grace Point, if you're regular, don't waste your life. Your future and security is not going to be found in the stuff around you that you are so obsessively holding on to, or the stuff around you that you are so obsessively trying to take hold of and grab. What if there was someone who could give you the ultimate security and future you're looking for in life? Well, Jesus has done that for you by actually facing the ultimate pain and suffering that threatens your security and your future at the cross. He's met your greatest need of the cross. You are loved. You are valued. And if He has secured your ultimate future and security, then you need not be afraid today. You should not need to obsessively hold on to things or grab at things in life because you need not be afraid. Life would be very different, wouldn't it? Liberating, actually. Because all we are asked to do is to trust Him with our security and future in life because He has already secured it for us at the cross. You are loved, you are valued, so trust Him with your time, your talents, your treasures. Like Anna and her parents, we would seek first His kingdom with our time, talents, and treasures. We would trust Him with our lives. And as we do that, Jesus says, everything else will be provided for us. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank You that Jesus at the cross, in facing our pain, our suffering, our death, has secured for us a secure future. And so help us today, this morning, to entrust our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures to Him. Because we know we are favored, we are loved. And because we are favored and loved and our future is secure, we can actually be generous with what He has given us. Free us to do that. Help us anchor in the right places. Help us to stop stockpiling and holding on in life. And help us to stop be people who are obsessively trying to grab at things in life. Help us to repent from building bigger barns, thinking they will secure our future. Help us instead to trust Jesus who has secured our future. And we ask this in His name. Amen.